This is SciBite, episode 48, for May 29th, 2012! Hi everyone, you're listening to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast. Out every single Wednesday morning over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining me this week, like every single week, is Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, happy science to you. Happy science. What the heck are we sciencing about this week? This week, we're going to take a look at the Venus transit from next Tuesday, a rare rabbit, water in our solar system, creative noise, a dinosaur with tiny arms, Dragon spacecraft update, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Well, okay. I mean, I'm going to try to okay. sit through everything until we get to the Dragon X space update, but you know that's what I'm freaking out about this week. I'm so oh, excited to talk about yes. that. Yes. I put it at the end so it's like the catch. <laughs> want to hang on nice. to that last minute because it's awesome. I like the way you think. Uh, so uh, before we go on, I just want to apologize to everybody who's joined us live over jblive.tv. Uh, before uh, SciBy started, I thought I would sort of get us in the in the investigative, intelligent mood, and I played some Sherlock Holmes um, reruns on the stream. I don't know if you saw any of those, but I like to do that every now and then. It seems like kind of in the spirit of Sidebite. Mm-hmm. Um, but I left the mouse cursor on the screen. Oh, and I just, no. I just wanted to apologize to everybody. I, that's got to be really annoying. I wouldn't know, but I mean, I would assume so. So <laughs> I just wanted to get that out there and, and apologies. And also uh, say uh, a thanks to the J-Man for joining us last week for yes. our uh, year episode. Now we're on to year number two. We are. Oh my goodness. Are you excited? I'm excited. Let's do the news. All right, what the heck is our first news story this week? Next week, next Tuesday, the day we're going to film or record next uh, SciBite, June 5th or June 6th in Australia, Asia, Venus will pass between the Earth and the Sun. Now, this kind of thing only happens like twice a century. I thought, wait a minute, we just got the show, we, that, we just had this happen. What are you talking about? The moon came between us and the sun. Oh. Yeah, and that was the annular eclipse or the partial eclipse, depending on where you were. But this ah. is with uh, Venus. Ah, Venus. And, and this rarely happens. I think the next time it's going to happen is uh, 2117. So, I mean, I don't think any of us will, you know, be maybe looking up about that time. <laughs> um, so, you know. You might want to catch it if you can. Yeah. So uh, this, this obviously, since it's so small and so far away, this is going to look a lot different than a regular eclipse. Oh, yeah. This is, um, you know, with uh, the eclipse, you can make those pinhole types. You know, you poke a hole in a piece of paper and you shine it and you can see yeah, yeah. the eclipse. I made this one of those some- in school. Yeah. This is not something you'll be able to see through one of those. Oh. There's a, a number of different ways you can actually prop- more properly see it. Um. Uh, binoculars or you Wait, might be able to binoculars? do this. You can't look yes. at the sun with binoculars. Well, no. Do not look at, point your eye through binoculars at the sun. Not a good idea. Okay. Bad science. Okay, okay. Okay, but if you point uh, the binoculars so that they're still pointed towards the sun, your eye nowhere near it, and you shine it from, you know, so it's going backwards through the binocular onto a piece of paper. Oh, okay. Then you can look at the sun, um, depending on how you focus and how, maybe is it on a tripod, how far away is the piece of paper. That's the kind of thing you can be able to see sunspots. You'll be able to see, um, you know, Venus passing in front of you, but you see a little tiny black dot. 
cool. go across. Yeah, we got a video of this, uh, of a demonstration, and it, it actually, mm -hmm. it works out pretty good. What you kind of get yeah. is the opposite effect. You get the light reflects on the paper, and then there's a shadow where the, or a little dark spot where uh, Venus is. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and you so, could do this at home if you had like a tripod for binoculars. Yeah. Now into this kind of thing. Play uh, along at home. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think it's in the video. You like it's put input in inside a uh, like a cardboard a piece of cardboard, so it kind of blocks out the sun, so you can have kind of a, a shadowed area. Yeah, that's like definitely fancy. Square. Yeah, that that way you have. Uh, yeah, that way. Otherwise, the sun would be shining on the piece of paper. Yeah, so it's, yeah. A, it's a little bit easier to see it, but. You know, this kind of thing is it's pretty cool to be able to to see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, you know, like, it doesn't happen very often. It happened in 2004 because it'll happen in groups. It'll be eight years apart, and then it'll be, a real, like, a century, and then it'll be another eight years apart just because of how the orbits of Venus and the Earth go. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, yeah, you got some video of it in uh, 2000 and, and 2004. This is really mm -hmm. wicked looking. Oh, it, yeah. It looks like a monster. <laughs> the little wavy, probably because... You know, the atmospheric disturbances. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you have that with uh, really powerful um, observational telescopes, things like that, specifically made for the sun. This is, you know, then it'll look through the atmosphere so you can kind of see some of the waviness there. Uh, you know, made worse when it's warm or humid, things like that. And it tends to be warm when you're looking at the sun. So let me ask you something. Okay. Don't you think it's kind of weird that essentially there's nothing but some gas between us? And just a whole freaking space system out there. <laughs> and the fact that we are slightly inconvenienced by looking out through that to look at uh, this kind of thing, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's, that's a good trade-off. That is a perfectly good trade-off as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, we have to look through a little bit of, you know, gases and stuff that keep us alive. Yeah, yeah okay I suppose we can deal with that. So do they have anything set up to get some really awesome visuals of it for uh, the 2012 passing? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, astronomical observations. There's a lot of uh, ways that people can be involved and, you know, apps for your phone to kind of work with it. Um, all sorts of different things. But the huh. Hubble Space Telescope is in on the whole deal, too. Oh, really? Yeah. This is, now the Hubble is, this, the instruments are so sensitive, you could never point it at the sun. It's always pointed away from the sun. Yeah. But what they're going to do is they're going to actually point it at the moon. Oh, and use slick. and use the reflected light off of that to be able to see. Now, what they're going to do is so they're uh, doing they're doing the binoculars method only with the Hubble telescope, kind of. The, yeah. the light isn't going. See, so the light isn't going through the Hubble telescope, but they're using the reflect. They're using the reflection on the moon. Yes, and a tiny bit of that light that gets to the moon is going through the Venus atmosphere. So you know the the atmosphere of Venus will you know, ref re some of the light will go through that and it'll continue on to the moon. So what they're going to do is look at that tiny, tiny fraction of the light all from the atmosphere on the moon huh. to be able to say, let's see how much uh, the chemical makeup of the atmosphere. No, so we know what it is. So some of the light going through it, we can take the analysis of that and say, okay, this is what it looks like th doing it this way. What is the reality and kind of gauge how well we can guess. That's awesome. Because we can take that then and use it with the exoplanet stuff. Oh, you know, we're looking yeah, out. Yeah. We're looking out at the, you know, all these new planets out there in, you know, in the galaxy and in the space. So we can look at those and we can see, all right, this is what we see 
you know, for the the large planets, the Jupiter-sized planets, we can see the light coming through those planets, through the gases there, and be able to guess, you know, the the chemical makeup of those gases. Now, we haven't quite gotten down to doing that on, you know, Earth or super-Earths, but that's, you know, that'll be in the making. Hmm. So we'll be able to use this data that we get from looking at the moon from, you know, catching, you know, the chemical equation, say, all right, this is what we see. Yes, it actually matches up. It's pretty good. You know, that kind of thing. Other, or whether it's like, eh, it catches some stuff. It, it doesn't catch other things quite as well. Hmm. We can use that to then um, analyze what we see externally. So it'll use all of its wavelengths, the ultraviolet, the near-infrared, every bit of the equipment that Hubble can use, they're going to point at the moon and do this. They've already done a test run, you know, where they, they kind of pointed at the moon and did it because it's, it's actually fairly tricky. When it's looking way out at a star, yeah. I mean, you have some amount of, you know, you must stay on target. But think of it like you're in a car and you're driving down the highway. Now, if you look at a big, you know, I don't know, corn silo, skyscraper, something kind of way off in the distance, that's, you're not going to have to turn your head. You know, you go down a mile down the highway, you're not going to have to turn, you know, a <laughs> couple miles down the, down the road. You're not going to have to turn your head very much. Right. But if you're looking at maybe a car in the slow lane, you're going to have to turn your head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they have, so they have to get it so that it's just right. So they can rotate the Hubble you know, in its orbit, because it's going around the Earth. So they have to move it in just the right way so it can continue tracking the moon so that uh, it's just on target. Right. Because they're going to have, this will take um, uh, seven hours to do the whole thing. So it's like, you know, 40 minutes out of each 96-minute orbit is going to be pointed right at the moon. So they have to kind of get it ready, you know, track it while they're, for the 40 minutes that they're on the right side of the Earth. And then prep it for the next run. <laughs> so they're going to be doing this for seven hours. Wow. Kind of tracking this so that they can get all of this data. Now, they'll pretty much need all of it. Only like one one hundred thousandth of the sunlight that gets to the moon is and reflected is going to be through Venus's atmosphere. So oh, okay. they have to use all the data they can to kind of pull How all the light. Wow. I mean, that's incredible that, they, that yeah. they have that narrow of a window to work with, yet they're still able to accomplish that. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean... How accurate can they, can they rely on that? I mean, how, how dead on is that? Do they know? Do they say? Well, they're going to see. We're going to find mean, out. I how, how, mean, how well can they track it? They can track it fairly well. They've already done some test runs to make okay. sure. Okay. But what kind of light will they see refracted through Venus's atmosphere? They, they don't know. Like? They don't know until it happens, right? Yeah, that's that's part of it is seeing what they see. They're like, all right, what can we see when we know the answer? Like, we know Venus's atmosphere is made up of X, Y, and Z. That makes sense. So this is okay. really a validate. I see. So that's how you're relating to the exoplanets. See, okay. Yeah. So you're validating findings that way. Ah, that yes. was the part. Okay, that clicks. Okay. That yeah. makes that's awesome. That yeah. is such a great opportunity to sort of test out things that we've sort of been assuming and basing a lot of assumptions on if the data is correct. And here yeah. we go. Boom. Here's a great chance to try it out right in our own backyard. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, and does it pick up, you know, some uh, frequencies of light better than others? Does it not pick up certain chemicals? So we can see, 
you know, if there is anything in Venus's atmosphere that maybe doesn't pick up as well or picks up really strongly, right. doing that and use that to, um, you know, a baseline for external, for ex, you know, exoplanets. In addition, you'll be able to, they'll be able to directly observe the, through other instruments, um, the light, the, mag the magnitude of light. So the, you know, sunspots will decrease the, the light from the sun just slightly, but so will Venus. Hmm. It will, so if you can take that accurate of reading, they can say, okay, this is how much the sun's light dimmed by whatever tiny microscopic percentage. Yeah. This is how much it dims for, you know, sunspots. This is how much it dims for this size of a planet. And then use that on the data for exoplanets and say, all right, it dims this much. Now that could be uh, a sunspot or that could be this size of a planet. Now, does it happen consistently at a certain orbital rate? Then maybe it's a planet and how much does it dim? Then we can kind of guess how big it is. We can guess how far it is. So it gives us so much extra data to kind of, all of it's using this transit to get as, pack as much data as possible that we could, you know, all the ways that we use to look at exoplanets. Hmm. So it's like how we look at them, we're going to figure out all the different ways that we can use it during this so we can kind of validate and use it as a baseline. We're lucky in, in some sense, we're lucky that we have, uh, a, a, in a way, a pretty interesting solar system because we've got some really great gas giants. Yep. Obviously, we've got what I think to be a particularly good planet right there, about the third one in. I think that happens oh, to yeah. be a, a nice winner. And we've yeah. got Mars, which actually, that's not so bad itself either. Uh, so we got a lot of stuff to work with here to do exactly this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, I mean, Mercury, we get Mercury transits quite a bit more frequently um, mm. just because. But Venus is, is definitely, I mean, we've, we've said, I said it before, it's, you know, it'll happen in eight-year gaps. And then you just centuries. There's only been like eight since the invention of the telescope. but when they, uh, one of the first times they saw this with the telescope is they were able to look at this and measure um, when it first, when the dark spot first touches the sun and when the whole thing is inside. So it's like nothing to black spot inside the sun. They're able to time that and then time on the other side, how much, you know, when you get the black spot started at the edge of the sun and then when it was finished, they're able to see that it was, uh, I think, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. And so they're able to say, use that and use a whole bunch of geometry to say, okay, this is what we think the size of the planet is. This is what we think the size of the sun is. This is how far we think we are away from it. They're able to make a whole lot of inferences and calculations about our solar system from this kind of very event, from this very event before. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So it's a... Hmm. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes about ways to observe it and you know we'll talk a little bit later about uh the how you can know where to look for yourself um this is really cool yeah there's uh there are some show notes here uh the find your uh, local transit times you know when essentially there's one that's it's like a google map you click on where yeah. you are yeah and it'll tell you i like this this is when it starts this is when it ends it'll be like little black cloths uh, little clocks for like this is before the sun rises so it's this got, is after the sun sets it's got also when you zoom way the heck out it's got the the whole over the overall transit lines yeah. on the map itself 
And when yeah. you zoom in, yeah. Uh, so I get I get a nice little list here. Uh, I got uh, I got a sixty eight percent average cloud cover for June though. That's that's mm. not great. It's not great. It doesn't no. quite it doesn't quite you have my, So it must be using my IP information because it's got it's got kind of like probably where maybe my ISP endpoint is, but it doesn't really have my yeah. address. No, it um, has a it has a guesstimate about yeah. where it thinks you are, yeah. and then you can kind of drag the little spot around, or you can say, hey, uh, you know, Auntie Sophia is over here. Click. If you actually have an anti-Sophilia, wow. Leave a note in the chat. Yeah, show notes. <laughs> Dude. This is cool, um, though. You could send this link out and like, hey, you know, this is coming up. Use this link to find out. And what's neat is if you if you have a, a newer browser, it'll say, hey, can I use your location? And you say yeah. yes. And you don't even have to bother with giving it your uh, zip and stuff. Yeah. And if you're interested in trying that, I really highly suggest doing it before that day. Oh. Um, Last time we were talking about the uh, lunar eclipse. There's a similar web page, and if you tried to click on it that day, oh, you could sit there and stare at the white page for a little while. Yeah, everybody it's gets like, excited. Yeah, yep. everybody's looking at me right now. That's why we try to tell you you sidebite listeners ahead of time. That's right. Give you the also, if you are in the cloudy regions and or you just can't make it or you don't think you could find a, a safe enough way to to view it uh, very nicely, then there are web tasks. That will be made. Yeah. There's links to that so you can watch the webcast. They're actually in a whole bunch of uh, astronomers have gone to Hawaii and Alaska because those are the only two states in the U.S. that will have the entire coverage during daylight. They'll be able to see the whole thing. And they're streaming from there. Yeah. So they'll have, yeah, so you can watch the whole thing. Yep, you can watch the whole thing. If you're in a a place like um, uh, Portugal, southern Spain, western Africa, like two thirds of South America, nobody will, nobody in those locations will be able to view it at all. Oh. And so, they'll, um, they, well, they so get almost, the live stream. Yeah, they'll have the they'll be able to have the webcast. The you know other people, if you maybe only get it, you know before sunset or before sunrise, then you'll be able to see the whole thing. Or maybe you'll be at work for part of it, and then you want to get they'll home. Probably be in you, my boat where they could see it, but they're going to have clouds. Yeah, they're in clouds, or you know, I'll be able to get home. But will I have everything set up so I can just bring it out? Yeah. Or maybe I forgot to set it all up. So just go online, check it out. Be a good night for a barbecue, though. There you go. That would be a good excuse to get together, have some people over, have a few brews, and watch <laughs> a planet move in front of the star. Just saying. Yeah, just just saying. You know, pull up a computer and be like, hey, look. Look, a planet's passing in front yeah. of the sun. Party! You know what? <laughs> Actually, that'd be a... A good spot to take a break because, you know, I would like to remind everybody about our affiliate links over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And if you scroll down to the bottom of Jupiter Broadcasting, you'll find them down there. And uh, here's what's funny about that is I actually buy uh, from Amazon US my charcoal. They have good, they have a good chunk charcoal on there. And when you have Prime, you get it, you get the free shipping. But we also have links for Newegg, Think Geek, Best Buy, Audible.com, which I'm going to be talking about soon. Because I freaking love it. I'm listening to a Star yeah. Trek book right now. Once I get through that Star Trek book, it's not really recommendation worthy. Once I get to a book that I know is going to be really great, I'll talk about it. Um, oh. And we also have a new one for Gamefly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I wonder what my chunk charcoal is because that is. Well, anyways, we could we can find <laughs> out later. Because, uh, But do uh, do please consider using uh, those affiliate links when you shop and uh, or maybe just grab that Chrome browser. And you yeah. don't even have to worry about it, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move right along then. I do believe it's time for the Sci-Bite News Bite. I believe you're right. How did I know? I know. <laughs> Let's see how many times we can say this without sounding like Elmer Fudd. 
a rare rabbit. Okay. Okay. We're not on the phone. Rabbit. Okay. okay. Yes. So a research group with the University of Delaware has cameras set up in Sumatra, except they were looking for medium, small size wildcats. These kind of things that um, Sasquatch. Not quite Sasquatch. Um, you know, that it's a different area. Sumatra's a little island. Sasquatch is, you know, uh, you know, forests of North America. So it maybe it's his tropical vacation home. I don't know. But these are uh, <laughs> I'm going with it. These camera traps are set up so that it's like a little box and it's almost a motion sensor like you have in a front yard where the light shines on. So what this does is it sees some movement and then it flashes a picture or it takes an infrared picture or various things so that they can, they don't have to wade through hours and hours of blades of grass flowing in the wind. They can oh, just yeah. see, right. hey, there's a cat. Hey, there's this. There's Bigfoot. And, you know, there's Bigfoot. You know, he's drinking his uh, vacation drinks. Actually, um, I think he's a Bud man. I think he drinks a lot of Bud. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, this time they spied a rabbit and they kind of looked at it and they're like, wait a minute. We think this is like a really rare rabbit. So huh. as a uh, grad student looking for her master's or PhD and stopped and went, huh. So stopped, like kind of took a pause in the in the research they were doing, went out and searched about this rabbit. And, you know, they got like 10 photographs of it and two different traps a little over about the two and a half thousand feet apart. And that data uh, is pretty much the most data that anyone has ever compiled on these rabbits ever. Huh. So they have way more data about it than anything else. So they kind of put, so now they've added this to their research list and they actually um, could have reached out a hand to all the other uh, groups on this island with, you know, camera traps looking for other things, about 20 or 30 other people. Yeah. They kind of, have a, a wide range on the island to kind of say, okay, let's just, you know, if anybody catches this on a picture, just send it on over to me. I'm going to kind of uh, track what I'm these not are sure going. I've ever heard the term camera trap, although it, it makes sense. I mean, I get what you mean by it, but that's mm -hmm. just uh, camera traps. Yeah, there's a, uh, oh, yeah, here's like a thread where people are looking for people. Huh. Camera yeah. traps. Yeah, they, they use these in uh, forests or remote locations. It's really good because then you can set it up. Uh, especially locations that really hard to get to. You know, some of these, like in Sumatra, you're miles or hours away from where your camera is. Mm. And you're sleeping in a sleeping bag mm. in some, you know, hut that somebody has kindly shared with you mm. and shared their little dinner, you know, and oh. there's there's no uh. amenities to be to be heard of or sound of. That doesn't sound so, like very fun. So, well, yeah, that's Science why this can be hard work. Science is hard work and, and you got to live rough sometimes. <laughs> But that's why they set these things up. They can set them up and just kind of set it and forget it style where, you know, you're got waiting through. You don't have to have the equipment for, you know, 300,000 hours of video. And you've got some undergrad going, la, 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 bored out of his mind and then falls asleep and you miss the animal. Um, but this is, it takes a number of pictures and you'll see uh, gorillas, uh, they use this for remote for gorillas or cats or anything of that nature. I've seen quite a few of these type of things where they're like, hey, look. And occasionally you'll have the creature come up and sniff the camera and it's funny. You're like, hey, what's this? And no you see kidding. a giant nose. There's any rare. food in there? Like, hey, what's this? Sniff, sniff. Oh, right. not edible. Okay, moving on. <laughs> well, that, uh, I got, now I kind of want to, you know, I want a camera trap for my new garden that I set up. I want to know if there's pest getting in that thing. Yeah. Oh, I get one of these camera traps. Uh, seems I don't like, know. You know, honestly, it. it seems like it'd be a good use because there's apps that do this. 
Oh, well, yeah. So if you had, like, an old phone or something, but it wouldn't really work outside. But, you know, you could set something like that up. Yeah, there's, uh, like, USB cameras or things like that. You could probably fairly easy find something that would record or a little camera. Uh, Somebody in the chat room, uh, Bozeman, says trail cam. Trail cam, yeah. Something that you could set up. You'd want to have something that could be battery-powered, I guess. Uh, Yes, battery-powered, friendly for, you know, if a shower comes through, you're not out, however much you spent on it. Or have a little, you know, enclosure for it. Yeah. And, yeah. And you got to, yeah. Hmm. Well, kind of want one. That sounds cool. And then, you know what? If I had one, maybe I'd get to find an extremely rare rabbit. Huh? I did it. Extremely rare rabbit. Look at that. Although, uh, I I don't think I could do it another time. No. uh, Yeah. I I think we should. Go to the next one. All right. Then you know what that means. You know what that means. It's time. The two-bite news. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. Ladies and gentlemen, in the center ring, it's we the two have news. water in our solar system. So this is great. Now, uh, did we yes. talk about the first image that came out that showed water uh, for Earth? We did talk about yep. that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah a yep. couple back, we yep. talked about it. Yep. You know, there's Earth, and then if you took all the water on the surface, the radius of the ball would be about uh, 430 miles across. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Now, what they've done is they've taken Galileo uh, probe data from 95 to 2003. And we, uh, a lot of people know Europa, I've talked about it quite a few times. It has deep global ocean, you know, thick layer of ice on top. You know, you've been able to see the, the subsurface, subsurface ocean. Right. You know, there's salt water. And now they've done something similar to that. So they have the Earth and its little water bubble. And then Europa and its water bo- bubble, which they think is, oh, Fifty to one hundred and five miles uh, deep, which would make it about five hundred and forty-five miles uh, in diameter uh, radius bubble. Uh, whoa! So about, wait, that's large. That's much larger than Earth, isn't it? Yeah, about two to three times the volume of Earth's oceans. Well, we gotta get to space. Yeah, gotta give me some water. Yep. <laughs> so. Hey, I, I know we talked about it at some point or other, but you know you're leaving the solar system and. It's Europe is apparently the Seven Eleven, uh, you know. As you're leaving, you know what? Like, Seriously, right, isn't last it? Pit stop. Seriously, it yeah. is, isn't it? You could go down yeah. there, you drill out a few ice core samples. It makes it even more portable, really. And you bring yeah. it up with you, and you go. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of what the the space travel is is going where to pick up the materials that you need along the way. You know, so they're they're looking at some of these asteroids to see what kind of materials there are. One, two bring them back to Earth, and two, like, hey, could what could we use in space to make stuff in space or go farther? Right. And this is, you know, we've always known Europa has water, but when I saw this image... It really uh, drives it home. Oh, yeah, the link's in the show notes, and it's in the uh, the video enhanced version. But, yeah, you see, like, big old Earth, little, you know, little ball of water, which we've seen it before, and it's mm. kind of like, oh, wow, good water, we love you. Yeah. And there's Europa, and it's water bubble, and it's just so drastically... You know, it's so much bigger in comparison. Well, in comparison to what we have on Earth and comparison to the planet itself. Mm-hmm. It makes so, me kind of uh, take a little more stock. I've seen documentaries that claim that uh, one of the future scarce, scarcest resources is going to be water. And I always thought, how could that be? I mean, I can understand how we could pollute it, but how could we actually run out? And it's just we'd run out of usable water. And you could kind of see it illustrated with these photos. Yeah. You see how it I mean, happen. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to you know, clean water or 
make it drinkable again, which they're they're using cheaper ways to, you know, in the third world countries and such. But yeah, the amount of water we have is really driven home by that picture. Like yeah. I always knew it, but the one we had a couple of weeks ago kind of went, whoa, I got to share this because it's, it's kind of cool. And then I saw this one. I was like, whoa. It's very cool. And you, you yeah. also, you know, I think it changes the way people kind of think about, um, oh, well, yeah. I mean, well, in a way, because you never, you would never think there's another planet out there that has more water than Earth in our solar system. Yeah, I mean, you think, hey, we're we're two thirds covered in in water. We, you know, that's a lot. And then you look at it, you're like, wait, no, not quite a lot. And then you look at Europa, and you're like, wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, Europa's, I mean, it's just a moon. Yeah, it's just a moon. It's just a measly moon. I mean, what's it doing with all that water? Well, moons are supposed to be boring. <laughs> not this moon. There's probably space sharks underneath the. I bet. Space I bet when you go sharks. down about thirty miles or something, there's uh-huh. there space sharks that that don't need. Do they water. have lasers. And no, they at least have lasers. They, no lasers. They, they glow because they're underwater okay. that far, so oh. they're still very freaky. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what is our what is our next story? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get us away from the uh, so glowing space sharks as fast as possible. Glowing space sharks. Yeah. yeah, with, yeah. On that note, yeah. creative noise because we are so creative with glowing space sharks. Oh, oh! I thought you wanted me to make some noise. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so a professor of business in uh, the University of Illinois has been studying how levels of ambient uh, noise affect consumer sales. Hmm. So, you know, you're at the, at the store or, you know, the grocery and there's that hum of people's voices. You kind of, you know, you think about it, you're like, yeah, that kind of hum of people's voices yeah, in the yeah. moon. Crowds and... Not the moon. The mall. The, night, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the mall on the moon. If you've um, ever been there when they've closed and you're like the last person there, it's very different. Or like, uh, yes. like if you, you know, when you were a kid, maybe you stayed late for school and you go out in the, the area that's normally packed full of kids and yeah. you're the only student there. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's quiet. Yeah. Nice. I like that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what they were doing is they were analyzing, you know, what levels of sound and how they affected consumers. Okay. So what they were looking at is... Uh, about 70 decibels is about equivalent to a passenger car traveling on a highway, kind of what you hear. Yeah. And that actually enhances creative tasks. So you're more likely to try something new, um, creativity. So if you're at the store, you're more likely to go for that different brand or that, you know, different book or game or something. If they have the right noise at the right level, it's not white noise, uh, you know, uh, people have heard of that or pink noise, which is what they actually call the static on a television. Yeah. But it's this, you know, it is that human voices hum. And it's funny because I remember, you know, back in college and I was like, you know, there's a room by myself after my roommate left. And I was like, it's quiet. It's way too quiet. I had two younger brothers and I'm like, no, quiet won't work. So, you know, I have like the radio on at some low level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's just some low level of voices uh, think about, like, I, I think this is a big to be honest with you i think this is a big reason why podcasts are successful in a lot of ways yeah. it's companion listening um i usually uh, i usually never am in my office working in silence yeah right do you ever work yeah. in total oh. silence i mean r- r- rarely yes, no. no there's there's always something going on in my office or in the lab yeah. to make plenty of noise yeah. and at the very least i have like one earbud in my ear, like facing away from the rest of the office, like playing some music or something. Yeah. But that, it, it kind of proves what we all have kind of, you know, felt is that they're too loud. It becomes a distraction. It becomes, you know, you can't think, you can't, you can't oh, deal. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and that's not that that doesn't boy, my the line between helpful and distracting is very small for me. I can easily cross yeah. into distracting. Yeah. But at that at that key level, not only is it kind of help, you know, you focus, but it really helps you be more creative, have more out of the box thinking. Mm-hmm. So it you if you, you know, your your boss complains that you have, you know, one earbud in having music. You're like, hey, this is this is improving my productivity. Wow. This is making more creative. Wow. Science proved it. <laughs> nice. Now now I don't know how far you're gonna get with that, but you can certainly try. <laughs> definitely could try. I, I will say uh, I've definitely identified this with myself. And uh, this yeah. is why I, I love to have live streams up during the day because I like to get current yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Or I'll have music going all the time or podcasts going all the yeah. time. Because uh, I, I like if I if I need to sit down and do a, like a like a lot of prep for a show or yeah. I got to write a lot of email, I, I really need something else to go uh, in the background. Yeah. yeah. Now it's, you know, how much are you listening to that? I don't know. Right, right. right. You know, is it literally find- just the hum of voices or is it, you know, just something there you know, and then if something triggers in, it's like, what? Wait. Yeah, it's like you know, yeah. everyone in the office and the lab can be talking. Yeah. And when I hear my name, oh, yeah. I suddenly turn. I'm like, what? They're like, it, yeah. If, they're like, oh, talking to me. I'm like, I have no idea what else you said. I could be like, you know, I'll be in a restaurant or the mall yeah. or where or, you know, Lowe's. I mean, whatever it is. And yeah. uh, it could be full of hundreds of people. And if somebody in the earshot says Linux or something technolo- technology technology related, your brain keys on. You're oh, like, instantly. I'm like the bionic man dialing that sucker in and I'm totally listening to what they're saying all of a sudden. Bionic man, Superman styles, like yeah. totally television. You're like, yeah. it zooms up in on my ear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, boy, I, this is just right up my alley. It's just nice to actually see some science to it. Yeah. Now, of course, they were doing it from the business standpoint saying, hey, right about this level, you know, this kind of noise will make people buy new stuff. Uh, can I tell you something? And I don't, I hope this this isn't a racist thing. I don't think. I think this is. This oh gosh. is I've been programmed. Oh no! Oh no! Every now and then, when I hear a certain type of um, Spanish music, Mexican music, whatever, I honestly think, like, if I'm hungry, I think you know what Mexican food does sound good. If it's like the kind of music they play in the restaurant, and I've now been told, <laughs> I've told, yeah, I've been told that they play a certain type of music in there to do that, and they play it at a certain speed to get you to eat at a certain speed. Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of stuff with that. I mean, I, I will say it outright. I can't hear mariachi music mariachi without being music. like, I need cheese. I need chips and dip. That's, chips and dip right now. And I feel bad because, you know, I mean, that's not fair to the people who love mariachi music. No, no. It's just, it's, it's Pavlovian. It's you programming. Know? Yeah, it's programming. You yeah. hear, you know, something happens and you expect something else. Yeah. You know, if you hear that type of thing enough, and that's really the majority of where you hear it, and then you eat chips and dip, there's, there's your brain makes a connection. <laughs> Your brain makes the connection. And like you were saying, the the speed which they play can do that. Uh, fast food restaurants used to make studies of this. What colors, you know, what clashing colors and what kind of uh, seating would make people want to leave? So you sit down, you eat, you go. Because hmm. that's, that's the whole point of a fast food restaurant yeah, is you, you, you move you people, hmm. you know, move people quickly. And so now they're kind of, so, you know, then restaurants say, you know, what kind of sound or what kind of this, you know, changes people to do different things. But this was kind of one of those things that was very, you know, I felt like it was not just business related. I'm like, hey, yes, I, oh, yeah. I know this. It goes I- all ranges. And it's it's it, 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 it's interesting how music is so like I noticed both my kids at very young ages like mm-hmm. uh, could, you know, bop to a beat and, and bounce yeah. to a beat like kids have it built in. They like music. Even very early on, they can groove with it. And 
And to that end, like, even when I'm making, when I'm putting together a podcast, like, I'll listen to a ton of music, and if anything sounds like a downer song or, you know, doesn't put me in the mood for the show, I, you know, I, no way does it go in because, you know, that, all that stuff kind of sets the mind, sets the stage. Mm -hmm. That's what all this stuff is doing, right? Is it setting the stage for for a series of decisions to be made? Yeah. And so this kind of sound levels. Now, I guess I'm not quite sure whether, you know, this study proves that it could go into, you know, a single voice or music, but it's, you know, it kind of gives take to this kind of, you know, nice background human voice type thing going on in the background helps you, you know, helps you really think out of the box and kind of get more creative. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And uh, uh, I've also seen some studies suggesting that you can get, you can find certain types of white noise that'll do it too. I know this is not about white noise, but I guess I've I've read that some say white noise will do it. Yeah, for some people, you know, that'll block out external noises. Yeah, yeah. You know, and kind of shut it down now. You know, for, you know, if you're like me, then no noise is is bad. My brothers were, you know, about five years younger than me. So the only time it was quiet was when they were about to sneak up on me. Yeah, there is a, I, I've, so, you know, I've read a study if, that there is actually like a, the human, the human brain has evolved in an environment where there was always been noise. And when there's no noise, it's generally a sign that a predator is around. So everything got quiet. So it's so it can't be, you know, eaten. Yeah. So and you're like, wait, no, somebody's so about to get me. I can't. So a, I can't there, there might be a little bit of response built into like, um, yeah. wait a minute, this is a spider sense telling me not everything is quite right. Because I know yeah. for me, I get uncomfortable after a while. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of it is. It's just, you know, it kind of proves, you know, the right kind of environment around you, this low level sound to help kind of block out background noises but not so much that it's really interfering with you. Kind of lets your brain flow. Yeah, exactly. Helps you get in the flow. Mm-hmm. Yep. One more reason to listen to SciBite. There you go. Ding. Hey, you know what else is another reason to listen to SciBite? Because we're about to talk about dinosaur. Right? We are. Dinosaur time. Yep. Quick note on a new dinosaur with teeny tiny arms. Ah, uh, poor guy. Yeah, I know. Kind of a not winning, smaller. He's not going to win any arm wrestling contest. Oh, no. <laughs> Kind of a smaller version, scalar, scaled down version of the T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex, mm-hmm. but even with smaller arms. Uh, the T-Rex is pretty small, but they think that arms, but they think that maybe, you know, uh, that it could kind of hold a little bit of, you know, animal flesh or meat to kind of grapple things while it ate. This, no, it, it wasn't doing anything with those arms. Not much of anything. No, not really. Maybe when it's smaller, they'd be more useful, like when it was a, when it was a youngin. Uh, well, if it's if it scales down, it would still be small. You know, small. it would still be small. I mean, what makes it interesting is it's the oldest member of this type of lineage, which is kind of uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, walking on two feet, uh, very lizard head. Um, it's the oldest of that version by more than uh, forty million years. So it's by far the oldest of this kind of uh, dinosaur we've seen and it was a mostly complete skeleton you can see um there's a picture in the show notes or in the video enhanced mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they they spied part of the, the skull but um and there's fragments of the skull in the neck but the rest of the skeleton is practically intact you know hips spine tail arm legs um good portion of the ribs so it's it's a fairly good skeleton yeah, yeah. So you're not making a lot of inferences about it's it. It's interesting though what inferences they can make just on the bits oh, of yeah. uh, backbone and, and skull piece they have, which are not much towards the top of the you know uh, spine and yeah uh, the top of the head. But they are able, yeah. to, you know, based on what they do have, they're able to make some pretty good guesses. Oh yeah, well, 
sometimes with these kind of things, you can see this is related to that kind of a dinosaur. So it probably has a similar structure. So now, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if you find a, you know, um, human skeleton, you'd be like, okay, this is kind of what it looks like. Let's put the pieces kind of in that shape. Right. You know, and then so many things can be brought from the skeletons, you know, uh, muscle grooves, because they could see how muscled it was here or there or what kind of stress was on these bones. So ah, yeah, right. You know, how much weight could it take? So, so much more can be taken from these. And then they, to kinda see. they can get a picture of like how much were they actually, in this guy's case, if they could look at that kind of stuff, they could get a picture and see how much it actually used those, those little arms. Yeah, yeah. How, how much it would have been useful or, you know, could it, reach anything other than maybe you know scratching an itch within fingers reach of where they are yeah so maybe uh they are for mating hmm? yeah dinosaur mating right right no yeah, dinosaur awkwardness yeah that would be very awkward that would be very awkward now i gotta be honest with you uh yeah. all right well any other thoughts on that okay. one no, I think we've been awkward enough with dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs got weird. Huh, that's... Yeah. Oh, side-by computer's oh, beeping oh. at me here. Oh, we have a spacecraft update, it tells me. Oh, what could this be? You do. <laughs> this is the Dragon spacecraft. Oh. First private spacecraft to the space station. Talked about it last week. Okay, I've been talking about a lot coming up to this. Well... I've been just a wee bit very excited. It's pretty neat. Oh, yeah. So, it actually... Um, no, it launched last Tuesday when right. the, when the uh, last Cybite was, was filmed, uh -huh. recorded, and now it has done so much more on Friday, the 25th, it actually docked up with the space station. Wow. Yeah. It, the arm reached out and grabbed it. I actually was able to hook up to, uh, online to NASA TV and we were able to see it. Um, oh, did you watch just, it live? Yeah. I caught on just a, like. A few minutes after the arm grappled it, oh, wow. and I watched live as it like pulled it in towards the space station, and as it like hooked on and grabbed, you know, it, like yeah. successfully made the connection. I was like, you know, I was playing, but I was like, try not to get too distracted and kill us, you know, in, in, in you know our game because I was watching, yeah, you know, yeah. it inch closer and closer I'm to the space station. Glad I wasn't station. playing Sotar with you then. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I I didn't get a chance to watch it, but uh, I did watch That's some okay. of the clips. And yeah, um, there's there's loads of videos and clips. It looks uh, really cool around and in the show notes and stuff. And then on Saturday, the hatch was actually opened. Wow! Now the the now we aren't the only ones excited. The space station astronauts were actually so excited that they kind of opened it about two hours before they were scheduled to do it. Wow! So you know it got all pressurized and it was fine. And then they, they cracked it open. Uh, some of the videos you'll see them wearing uh, dust masks or, you know, go uh, face shields or goggles. Yeah, or why were they doing that? Is that for well, contamination? For, for uh, no, for safety. Because they really didn't know if there was anything loose. If something had been knocked loose. Oh. Something was, you know, was there, you know, anything going on? So maybe a food packet got free. Was there dust? Were there little floating things? So it was really for safety. And once they were able to kind of see it, make sure everything was locked down. And they said, you know, hey, everything is, is packed away. It's all good. Nothing floating. Excellent work. Uh, and then Memorial Day. They really they, take every precaution, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, it's not uh, down the street. Right. You kind of want to be careful. Yeah. So they astronauts spent their Memorial Day starting to unload a little over a thousand pounds of cargo. Oh, wow. Well, of course, yeah. not like they have to lift it all that much, right? Because yeah, it's uh, it's kind of just unpacking, push, yeah, push yeah. you down the hallway. Yeah, so it's not like ugh, lift and carry. But uh, 
So that'll probably take about 25 hours worth of unpacking. Wow. They're kind of doing it in shifts. Uh, what I read was, you know, they're kind of taking turns sleeping and unloading and, you know, kind of packing. And then once they unload everything, they've got a whole bunch of stuff to load in. Now they've, they've been prepping for this. Yeah. They knew they were going to, so they have everything kind of lined up so that they could pull it out and store things quickly and then kind of think all the things lined up, all the trash and all the um, scientific uh, experiments that need to go back to Earth. And they kind of have that ready to kind of plug it back into the dragon so it'll come down and it'll actually uh, make a detach and make a splash down on Thursday, the 31st. So oh. we're coming up on that. So in a couple okay. days, we'll actually, so next week I'll still be excited and still be talking about it. Um <laughs> They're, not, going, they're just loading it up with, with non-essentials. What does that mean exactly? Um, There'll be a whole bunch of... Have they been I mean, specific as to like, does that mean like stuff that if it blows up, they're not missing it? Is that, I'm assuming that's what they mean? Um, I mean, oh, hopefully it doesn't blow up. it up? No, when we're sending, no, because uh, I guess they're sending, you said you mentioned they're loading and sending it back with stuff. Oh, and yeah. I, and I read that it was all non-essentials that they're sending it back with, like, but they never were like, I mean, I, I guess... I guess well, this is all just in case things go bad. Well, yeah. There's a couple different... Uh, the non-essentials uh, kind of threw me because they were always saying what they were sending up is non-essential equipment. Ah. Essentially, they were making sure that, like you said, should it get delayed, which it did a few times, yeah, should yeah. the worst happen, uh, they're not going to be... They're not going to be... Yeah. They're not, they're not going to have to uh, crash land back at Earth because they ran out of Slim Jims. Um <laughs> But <laughs> I don't think that chat room suggesting uh, boss man suggests maybe an assortment of Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. I, but I said non-essential. So yeah. yeah. So what they're sending back, there could be um, they're going to load it back up. There's some uh, scientific experiments that they could send down uh, quickly that it would be nice to you know retrieve them back on Earth to finish uh, you know ex examining them and making all the final analysis. And right now they pretty much do trash. If they do a trash run, there's waiting for a Soyuz or something to come up that can actually take it down or just kind of chunking it, letting it, you know, burn up in the atmosphere. So what this has let them do is actually put things in there. Maybe they don't want to, they need to get out of the space station. They don't want to burn it up, store those kind of things away, pack a whole bunch of scientific experiments that can be analyzed back on earth. And then it'll come down for the splashdown. This is one of the, really the first that will be able to come back. You know, so they sent this, capsule up it'll be able to come back we'll be able to retrieve it so it's like this whole process of once they get these going um they now have uh, spacex now has a contract with nasa for 12 more of these uh, right. similar ones. right assuming this one goes okay yeah well so far it has yeah you know we're just a couple days away from it completely you know finishing its mission the first next one they have is early as september of uh, this year hmm. so if they start making this a pattern then they they know they can ship stuff up they can, you know, unload it. They can take a whole bunch of stuff back down to earth, you know, examine it. Maybe stuff that needs to be safely taken down, maybe just trash. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's six astronauts up on the station and they actually all kind of, at one point they were all kind of in there unloading stuff. Yeah. Is that, you know what? It, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, it was, it wasn't a whole bunch of room because it was a whole bunch of equipment and all six of us, but it was, you know, there was definitely more room. Um, a couple, one, at least one astronaut said, you know, it, it's, it, more roomier than a Soyuz capsule coming up. Wow. Well, so hmm. I mean, the next stage of this would be uh, passenger, and they're already working on these kind of things. We'll send astronauts up. You know, there's a video of a, uh, you might have already started it, uh, about three of them, and they're all kind of just kind of sitting around. There's plenty of room. 
Uh, one of them said, you know, it's about as much stuff that he could pack. Oh, in they're in it truck. right now. Yeah, they're they're actually inside. There actually is plenty of room in that thing. Oh yeah, there's there's plenty of room. You know, there's a whole bunch of white boxes surrounding them that they've got equipment in, and they're just kind of they set up to do the interview actually inside it. They're like, hey, you know, all just hanging out. Yes, you know what's funny is you you can really see their arms and legs have really kind of gotten a lot smaller. Well, their arms or their legs look like very thin. Well, you don't have. I know, I know, but it really starts to show. well, yeah, there's lots of equipment to be able to, um, you know, work against that. So rubber bands and things like that to kind of put the pressure back it's, on. It's probably because I don't see them in shorts very often. That I don't. <laughs> I don't well, I don't. Know, they're usually in like some sort of cool space pants. Uh, but seeing them in shorts, you really get to see how how it really does take a toll on the body to be up there. Well, yeah, I mean, but you're I'd not... totally do it. Oh well, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Well, very interesting. So uh, here's oh, hoping yeah. that Thursday splashdown goes okay, right? Yes. Uh, one last thing about this, um, you know, that you could there's links about in the show notes for all the uh, the Twitters, so you could kind of watch SpaceX and Elon Musk as it was happening. And Elon uh, Musk actually, uh, you know, he's the owner of this. You know, he started all this. He actually twittered, uh, "President just called to say congrats. Caller ID was blocked." So at first, I thought it was a telemarketer. <laughs> <laughs> it was like. Oh, telemarketer! I'm not picking that up. I'm I'm in I'm in like uh, you know celebration mode. Right, right. Oh, it's the president. I guess I should pick that up. You know, it's true because he would he wouldn't call. Right. I would it honestly would, also if I saw caller ID blocked, I don't answer it. I never do. Yeah. I mean that. Uh, you know, of course it's going to be caller ID blocked because they you know don't want to hand yeah, the right. number right. out to. Right. <laughs> they don't want to hand the number out. But yeah, it, I saw that and I laughed. I was like, oh man, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You know, so you know. Important dignitary calls in, caller ID blocked. You're like, nope, I'm in celebration mode, not picking that up. And I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah. Hello, Mr. President. Um, That's yeah. nice of him to give him a call. Well, yeah, the president, um, NASA administrators, a whole bunch of different people made either announcements or kind of called in to say congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, you know, I mean, it is a, b- a big event. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, and hopefully it will uh, let us get up in space even more. Yes. You know All right, Heather, we'll step on over here. We got to jump in the time okay. machine. Here we go. Close the door. Oh, 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 almost didn't. Almost <laughs> bad. Oh, I feel like okay. we're going a ways back. It could tell. Yeah. You know, it's got that shake to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of got that shake. Oh, yeah, here we go. We just landed 123 years ago, June 2nd, 1889. What happened? Hydroelectric power plant generating alternating current electricity was turned on for the first time. Oh, when? Uh,. 1889. <laughs> oh, well, no, I mean win, as in win. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yay. Okay. Right, right, yeah, like. Okay. Yeah, sorry, Okay, sorry. Now, now, now I'm caught back yeah, up. Okay. So it was made, uh, you know, available to consumer, uh, consumers at a significant distance from its origin. So it was like 13 miles away, mm. linked uh, Willamette Falls Electric Company to the power plant in Portland, Oregon. I'm sorry if I mispronounced Willamette Falls. Um, so it was two... Big water wheels driven in a single phase, giant 700 kilowatt generator. It wasn't necessarily the first one. Oh. Um, another one had been demonstrated, ah. but it was the first using alternated current, so AC current. Right. Well, there was a competing, yeah, it was DC and AC yeah. were competing. But so, yeah. uh. and making it AC also makes it possible to make long distance transmission. Right. That is the key. Yeah. DC is very short. Yeah. You can only send it so far, but AC, you can send it much farther. Well, this is really great. This is, uh, this is, I didn't realize we were actually into hydroelectricity that long ago. Uh, yeah. This is a big source of how Washington State gets its power. 
Yeah. We're big. And, and also, I think that's, I would assume, while I, I think we kind of have lower than average power prices in uh, yeah. my state. So oh, I, wow. Yeah, I take it out. All right, Heather. Okay. Well, our next destination took us to 65 years ago, June 1st, 1947. Photosensitive glass. Developing um, photosensitive glass was first uh, publicly announced. First been made by the Corning Glass Works Company in 1937, a little mm. while back. Um, but it was announced. And what it is is uh, crystal clear glass exposed to ultraviolet light followed by a specific heat treatment actually forms some sub-microscopic metal particles. So within the, creating an image in the glass uh, mo- it's pretty much the most durable photographic me- medium. There's a, a lot of these were made for in astronomy. So a lot of these old, um, you know, glass plates are wow. still around. They're still perfectly as clear as the day they were made. And they're kind of digitizing those and keeping those in safekeeping. They can't do color though. No, it was just, I mean, in the day you really couldn't do a lot of color anyway. Mm-hmm. These are really was, cool. Oh yeah. But it's, so it's just, these kind of things were you know, 65 years ago, and I've 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 heard of them for their, because of astronomy. Oh, okay. You know, various, uh, you know, star observations, you know, put onto these kind of things. I've heard of like, yeah, it's on. I've heard of like sort of referring to images stored on plates, so they, yeah. they literally are on sort yeah. of plates. Yeah, glass plates that yeah. just uh, exact little. Wow, some yeah. of the more modern ones can actually be very, very well. I'm looking at. I just did a Google image search for a huh? sort of modern art version of one that was taken oh. recently, and it it just it's incredible. Oh wow, yeah, very cool, very cool. All right, yeah. well there you go. So uh, yeah. now uh, that was uh, of course uh, looking back, and it's time now that we look up into the sky. Right. Not only do the stars and Saturn, but you can actually spot the Dragon spacecraft attached to the space station this week. Uh-huh. So. Now, it's pretty much going to look like a little star tracking across the the sky. And right. you can see the space station generally, but this time you see a track, well, between now and Thursday. So, um, for the next couple days, you'll be able to see it. And when that star tracks, it's the space station plus the dragon. There's a couple of links in the show notes that you can see. Um, plug in, kind of look up where you are. They're not as user-friendly as some other sites. Yeah, um, yeah. One of them on the right, you'll have to click, you know... Uh, where you are, uh, I mean the left, uh, where you are. Another one is kind of a big long list, but you can kind of go through it and yeah. see, for, yeah. uh, you know, for what state you're in, what country you're you in. You have to click idea. on my city directly. That seems so manual. I know. You can't just click on a little Google map. <laughs> Everything else has been really... The Google map, yeah, the Google map even would auto, auto-locate you if you wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> auto So it takes a little bit more effort, but I'm assuming if you're going to try to go out and observe this at night, you'll probably willing to go into a little bit more effort um, to kind of see what time and what direction you'll be able to look at this. Yeah. Um, I mean, just Googling probably this kind of information, you might get a better idea too, because this is a more... Uh, you know, spotlighted event. Yeah. But those kind of websites also show you uh, anytime you can observe the space station, all these other satellites or things, you know, when all this stuff is up and when you can see it. Yeah. But uh, right now it's most interesting because that little, uh, when it shoots across the sky, it'll actually have the Dragon spacecraft attached. How many, time, how many times do you get to say, I, sp- I spotted a spacecraft? Yep. So, I mean, that is pretty cool. That's a good but, opportunity. Yep. Especially, boy, I can't wait till Dylan gets older because he and I will look at all yeah. this kind of stuff. Or Abby. I don't want to exclude Abby. But I'm just yeah. saying I, I suspect it'll be Dylan. But I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Uh, all right. 
Anything else up in the sky for this week? Yes. Uh, Wednesday, May 30th, we've got Saturn and Spica to the left of the moon in the evening. Uh, Saturn's going to be the higher of the two. Uh, Moving on to Thursday, uh, Saturn, Spica, and the moon will actually form a line. Saturn is the highest. And how how well they line up is kind of depends on where you are at Earth. But they'll be just a few degrees apart from each other. So uh, each one will be about a finger's width at arm's length apart from each other. So they're really close. Okay. Quite a party up there. Yeah. On Friday, June the 1st, uh, between 10 and 11 o'clock U.S. time, uh, the Summer Triangle will be in the east. Uh, Three bright stars making a triangle. Vega is the brightest star in the eastern sky Hmm. in the top corner. Uh, Deneb is the brightest star to the lower left. And then Altar is uh, to Vega's lower right. So there's three... Three bright stars there called the Summer Triangle. You can always check back in the show notes because some of these names are, if you're not familiar with them, a little tricky. Yeah. Um, on Monday, uh, June 4th, another uh, partial lunar eclipse is going to happen just before sunrise when the Earth's shadow actually covers about a third of the moon. Ah. And then, of course, Tuesday, we've got the Venus transit. Yeah. Wrapping the show back to the first part. Boy, it really is busy up there. Yes. There's a lot going on. It's good. I'm glad we have that segment. Keep track of what's yeah. going on up there. Keeping an yep. eye on those planets and stars yep. because somebody has to. Yep. If we don't do it, nobody else will. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Heather. Well, I think that's our whole show. I think so. Well, thank you. It was a great show. I enjoyed it very much. I like it in my uh, SpaceX update. Yes. <laughs> well, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week's episode of SciBite. Of course, you can join us live Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. You actually get the star in our chat room when you do that. We do that over at jblive.tv. Download this show in just about any format you want over jupiterbroadcasting.com Wednesday mornings. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>